Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website ericlevy.com under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you Kohelet Chapter Eight. Kohelet opens up Chapter Eight by quoting an adage, a proverb, and challenging his students to understand its deep meaning. Mi mi davar. Chochmat Adam Ta'ir Panav Vaoz Panav Yeshuneh. Who is like a Chacham, which means who has achieved that status? Kohelet asks his students, and who knows the Pesher of the following adage? Pesher is um, the deep meaning um, that the literal words cover up for. In the Dead Sea Scroll, scroll community, they called their apocalyptic and mystical explanations of biblical texts Peshers. Now, let's get back to the actual adage. Adam chokhmat Adam ta'ir panav oz panav yishuneh. The wisdom of a man will enlighten his face, but power will change his face, or with the power of his face, he will be changed. The problem with the adage, as you've noticed, is before we even get to its deeper meaning, it's hard to say what it means, it's hard to parse it syntactically or semantically. Semantically, the word oz is difficult, as is the word yeshuneh. Syntactically, that is from the syntax of the sentence, it's not clear if oz is an adjective describing panav, or if it's the subject that acts on the panav, and it's not clear who the um, who, who panav is referring to, who is the he uh, of panav. One thing that seems definite, though, is that in the section that says ta'ir panav, that seems to refer to God, because in Tanakh, when it, when you see that expression, Ta'ir Panav, it's describing how God shines his face in revelation and approval and blessing, such as the Kohanic blessing, Ya'er Hashem Panav Elecha Vichuneka. Kohelet says he understands the deep meaning of this adage, however we translate it. Ani, Pimelech Shemor V'al Divrat Shivuat Elohim. I do, and here it is. Keep the commandments of God, uh, of the king. Sorry, I sort of gave away what my intention is. Keep the commands of the king and guard yourself about the matter or about the words that the king swears in the name of God to. Now, in the literal sense, this is advice about how to deal with the authorities, which is a little strange since Kohelet is the authority. He is the king in Jerusalem. Of course, it could be advising about the next kings. If we say it's Solomon, then it could be Rechavam and Yeravam, or it could be giving useful advice for future generations. However, I think, as I sort of hinted to before, or I let slip before, that the king here is a metaphor for God, which we've seen once before in this book. Of course, with metaphors, you never for sure know what they represent until they reveal themselves, which this one does not. Uh, even the word Elohim does not necessarily mean that we're talking to about God here, because Elohim can mean judges, or it could be the way a human king swears one, either swears by the name of God, or swears one to do something uh, in the name of God. However, there are a number of hints that the king here is a metaphor for God, which I will point out as we go along. So he doesn't just translate what the adage is with a single sentence, he's going to explain the deep meaning of the adage. He's going to continue to do so in the, in the coming few verses. Alti bahel don't make haste or don't let yourself be shaken up so that you don't 
run away from him or go out before him. Don't maintain yourself or stand in a, a, a place which is a bad thing because whatever he desires, he will do. And that's the first hint that we're talking about God because we return to that special word, chayfetz, which, as we've seen before in this book, means God's desire, his decision to bring consequences even though they may not come in an immediate way. So the sense of the verse then is when you see things that seem to be going bad, and that God is not bringing down his chayfets right away. He's allowing injustice. Don't rush to run away from him. But the, on the other hand, don't stand around and be complacent about the fact that God doesn't seem to be doing anything, and therefore you can be part of some bad business. And this word, these words, ta'amod and telech, to be used as two ways of kind of uh, holding oneself or, or doing something oneself in the sense of doing bad things, whether standing in a bad way or going out and to do a bad thing. These are used in the first sentence in the first uh, psalm, actually, uh, referring to people who position themselves in bad ways. Now, why should you behave in the right way? In that the word of the king is the rule, and conversely, who will tell him what to do? Shomer mitzvah lo yeda davara ve'etu mishpat yeda lev chacham. One who keeps the command, or commandments really, never knows from a bad thing, or perhaps a bad word, meaning a rebuke or a conviction from the king, or an edict from the king, and the wise mind, lev chacham, will know the time and the justice. Eight umishpat. The word eight recalls, of course, the song from chapter three, eight lechol chayfetz tachar hashamayim, and the word mishpat and eight together recall the the verse in chapter three, verse seventeen to be specific, which said, "Amarti aniv belibi et hatzadik vetarasha yishpo ta'elohim." God will certainly judge them. Eight lechol chayfetz, because when because there is a time for everything that God decides to do. The sense of this verse is that a person who follows the commandments will eventually know or understand or perhaps even be able to foresee when God's justice will come. This is reinforced in the next verse, which hints back, uh, hints also back to chapter 3. There are those two words again. Because for every chayfet, meaning um, of God, that is, when he decides to do something, there is a time and a justice, meaning justice comes at the just and correct time, because the evil of mankind, ki ra'ata adam, overwhelms him. Uh, Rabba alav. Now, if alav refers to man, it means that eventually uh, man keeps doing uh, more and more, so uh, the, the scales get uh, turned. If alav refers, refers to the king, which, as I said, I think refers to God, that means that eventually God will come to act when he simply cannot wait around anymore, or when, this, again, the scales tip in such a way that he must act. Uh, this same language is used in, by the generation of the flood. When the scales tip there as well and God decides to destroy the world, there in Genesis 6-5 it says, Vayar Hashem ki adam So that's one more indicator that this king is not just a flesh and blood king, but it is the king. And the fact that things seem to be going along badly now should not lead you into a false sense of security that you can act against God because eventually God will come around and do what he will do. Because he, man, doesn't know what will happen and who will tell him 
when it will happen. Kabbalah seems to be saying that people are thinking, well, it doesn't matter if I follow God's commandments because I don't see any retribution for sin. So the answer is, as we've seen him say before, you don't know when God will act and you don't know how God will act, but eventually he will act. To support this assertion, Kohelet explains man's limited capabilities vis-a-vis God or compared to God. Ein adam shalit baruach lichlo et haruach ve'ein shultom biyom hamavet ve'ein mishlachat b'milchama v'lo yimaleit resha et be'alav. No man can control the wind to contain it. The word kela means to put it in jail. And no man has control over his day of death. And there is no delegation in the war. Notice it doesn't say in any war, but in the war. And evil will not escape with its master. The word et very often means im, with. The expression delegation of war is a difficult one, but it probably refers, I think it refers, to how the rich could pay off their debt to go into military service, either with cash or usually with a replacement soldier that would go in their stead. So Kohel is saying that death and the final justice, which means the war, don't work that way. Evil and its owner will eventually come before God. In this case, in the verse, the the evil Resha has been personified as accompanying its master who created it. Um, and um, there is no running away from that particular war, which is the day that you come before God. Uh, the expression capturing the wind, l'chloot ruach, is not only meant in the literal sense that humans, compared to God, I mean, look, if they can't even capture wind, how are they expecting to understand how the world works? But it's also a sense of ruach in the human life sense, that is the life force, the ruach hachayim of a person. Well, those are also not under human control, and therefore um, man should not uh, become complacent when the world doesn't seem to be working the way one expects it to work. Kohelet uses the connecting word lishlot now, which he used in order to capture the wind and that the king has complete control over things. And he now uses that as a link word to broach um, the subject, a new subject really, or a connected subject, but a new subject of injustice that man does against his fellow man. So, verse 9. Et kol zera'iti v'natonet libi l'chol ma'aseh asher na'aseh tachad ha'shamesh Eight Asher Shalata Adam Adam All of this that is the following which I'm going to talk about, I observe and I set my mind to everything that is done Takhrashamish, which means in a human lifetime. There are times, eight, when a man rules over man to his detriment, which is talking about tyranny, uh, uh totalitarianism. And as such, that is during this time of despotic rule, I observed the wicked brought to their burial, to their resting places, to their graves, and they were escorted from a holy place. And they forgot in the city that which was done. This is also absurd, or it is something that will not last. This is a difficult verse, but I think the sense is that the tyrants get these powerful processions and the, the masses go out to escort them to their graves as if, they, as if they were great people. And don't forget that the setting of this book is, of course, Jerusalem. So they leave from the Temple Mount with this throng of cheering people or crying about the death of this of this wonderful tyrant in spite of all the evil that that tyrant had done because essentially people just forget about it. They ignore it. Whether they're doing it willfully or not is besides the point, but they're forgetting what 
it is this person did. And, and to be honest, it fits perfectly in modern times. One just look at the pomp and circumstance that swirls around modern dictators as, as you look around the world, and I think you could easily get a chance of what Kohelet's talking about. But the problem that we'll see is that since the king gets away with doing everything he wants to do, to the point where he even goes down to his burial and people consider him some honorable person when everybody really knows they're not honorable at all, it causes corruption with the masses itself. So when the decree is not done quickly, and there's an accusation against God here as well, it's not just that the people forget to accuse their king of being wicked, because they don't dare, but when God doesn't react quickly against this, uh, against this wicked person, for the deeds that they do, for the ma'aseha so therefore, came the minds of the people, the hearts of the people are filled, that is, they get the impression that they should do evil as well. Um, when, or because the sinner does a hundred evil things, and yet he endures, that is, when they see this king, uh, endure and have a good long a rule, not only in spite of the bad things that he does, but because of the bad things he does, that's what leads people astray. But in the middle of the verse, Kigam Yodeani, Koelit says, No, I myself know, that is, I have concluded, that it will turn out good, Yetov, to those who fear God, those who fear before him. Asher Yiru Milofanav. Now, I'm not sure why Kohelet is qualifying not only those who fear God, but fear God before him. Maybe he's referring to the people who go to the temple to do their service. I'm not entirely sure. But either way, Kohelet does trust that God will take care of things in the, in the future. He's exhorting his audience. Remember, he's speaking to us, telling us, do we understand what all of this means? Or asking us uh, uh, if we understand what all of this means. Things will not go well for the wicked person. His days will not be extended just as a shadow doesn't get extended time, just as a shadow doesn't endure because he does not have fear before God. Now, it's not clear if Kohelet is trying to educate the ruling class. Maybe he's not really speaking to us. Maybe he's speaking to the kings to tell them how things will work out. Or maybe he is living in a time or aware of times where the ruling class is so hopelessly corrupt that he's trying to see what he could do to educate the masses to not fall into the trap of following after their leader's despotism. There is an absurdity that happens on the earth, meaning in civilization and society. It's when there are righteous people who get what's coming to them as if they did the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people that get what's coming to them as if they did the deeds of the righteous. I declare that this is also absurd or if he's a little bit more orthodox i declare that this is in is is vapor that this seeming injustice will not stand now he doesn't say that all righteous people get what uh, what's coming to them as if they were wicked that all wicked people have good things happen to them even though they don't deserve them but he does say that some people definitely do probably as a result of all this um all of this despotism and injustice in the in the system of government, um, but by 
allowing himself to ponder the injustices that man does to man, and which are essentially allowed to endure by God, Kohelet sort of corners himself and has nowhere to go but to back to his safe haven, which we've seen before. Since man can only see the here and now, in spite of Kohelet's exhortations that we believe in a future response by God, for now, I myself, that is, I came to the conclusion that I had to praise the state of happiness and that there is nothing better for man to do which is in his lifetime than to eat and to drink and to be happy and this will escort him, it will accompany him, it will be a comfort to him in all his toil for all the days of his life that God has given him under the sun, that is, that God has given him to live. The reason why Kohelet falls back on this philosophy is because his attempt at understanding everything through wisdom has failed. Uh, and the reason why it's failed is because, as he said before, not everything is made knowable by God. And here he explains his efforts. When I set my mind to understand through knowledge, wisdom, and to observe all the things that are done on the earth, and remember we have that word earth before, it refers to all of this despotic behavior of man against his fellow man, um, although it probably means life in general, but here it's really focusing in on this despotic a uh, totalitarian government that causes people to sin as well. Continuing on, to the point where, to, to the point where both by day and by night, his eyes did not see sleep. What that means is, we would have expected Kohelet here to say that, to, to the point where my eyes did not see sleep. And the point is, I studied and I focused and I examined and I tried to work it out to the point where I did it 24-7. I didn't allow myself to get any sleep. It kept me up at nights. So why is he referring in the third person? So maybe he's just sort of referring to himself as he doesn't want to say just my eyes did not see sleep, but every scholar that would put themselves to this problem, none of them would get any sleep and, and none of them would, would come to any conclusions. All of this I saw, I, I saw all of God's acts, and that I saw that no man could understand all the things that are done in this world, and that man toils to understand, but can't. And even should a sage, a chacham, say, I get it, he doesn't get it. And that was a long sentence, but the essential, the essence is this. You could spend 24-7 trying to come up with a general field theory for how everything in the world works, how God interfaces with it, why people, why, why good things happen to bad people, why bad things happen to good people. But in the end, it can't be done. Man does not have the capability to solve all of these issues, and if he says he does, he's wrong. Um, and the, the, again, the interesting thing about Kohelet is we're talking about metacognition here. He's not just thinking about 
the evil acts that are done and the seemingly injustices that are done in the world. He's thinking about the process of thinking about it and how that too is absurd because one mind can't, one's mind can't grasp all the absurdities and because one keeps trying and trying, that's also absurd. So it works on multiple levels, on a cognitive level and on a metacognitive level. And we will see in chapter 9 how Kohelet follows up in this idea.